Good morning. This is the last in the foreseeable future of my Who is God series. Uh, if anyone else has something I should look at or would like me to investigate or something they've noticed that I, I haven't brought to light here because there are many, many things as, as you've seen um, over the last however many lessons this has been. Uh, let me know if any of this has been helpful, if it makes things clearer, if it has encouraged you. Share it with people that that are confused about who Jesus is or who God is. Um, it would be a good Bible study to write out for people to go and look if, if they were confused. Um, but we're moving into a time of, of podcasts and videos and, and things are changing. So here is the last study called God is Judge. And as, as you all know, oh, but Jesus is going to be the judge. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. So in Psalm 75, 7, it says, but God is the judge. Well, that's pretty clear. I, I mean, I can't argue with that. He puts down one and exalts another. So we have God being a judge. Interesting. Clear, right? God's the judge. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I am the Lord, and I am Yahweh, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. So God's not going to change his standards, his criteria for anything. God is the same forever. God is judge. When he says he's the judge, that means he's the judge. He will not change. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So God has said this thing. It's not going to change. Because if he started changing things, he'd be a capricious God and be like... We wouldn't know how to appease him like many of the false idols that we have in the world that we worship. They change all the time. And we look at Roman gods or Greek gods or any religion. Usually the gods are uh, very changing. Whereas our God is unchanging to the point that people are calling us old-fashioned at this point in time. And that's fine. I don't mind being old-fashioned. And Hebrews 13.8 also says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Wait, 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 wait. Why are they inserting this verse into this about Jesus is the same? Jesus is unchanging yesterday, today, and forever. So, so we have Jesus giving the same attributes as God. Because God is unchanging. And so Jesus never changes. And so I'm just coming back to God is the judge. So just that's just a little side side note that Jesus is given the same attributes as God again Psalm 75 7 God is the judge well that's pretty straightforward then we're hop to Psalm 96 12 through 13 let the field be joyful in all that is in it then all the trees of the wood will rejoice before the Lord he is coming for he is coming to judge the earth he shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth so wait, who's, who's coming in this passage? Before the Lord. For he is coming. So Yahweh is coming. And he's going to do what? He's going to come to judge the earth. He's going to judge the world with righteousness. Okay, so that's pretty clear. I, I, I get that. I understand that. Psalms, the Psalms are talking about God being the judge. No big deal. But what does Isaiah say? Isaiah 33, 22 says, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Okay, so the Lord, Yahweh, is our judge. Okay, that, that makes sense with what we've been reading in Psalms. The Lord is our lawgiver, so he's the one that gave us the law. 
The Lord is our king. We looked at the king of kings before, and he will save us. He's our savior and our redeemer. How interesting. So we've already looked at this. That was a note for me for later. Uh, whoop, awesome. All right. Yahweh. Yahweh's judge. Clear as can be, no big deal. What's Joel say about the matter? Joel 3.12 says, Let the nations be awakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Okay, so here we got you know, another place where God's going to judge in the final days in Joel. All right, super clear. Any questions? Guys, judge. We're, we're done, right? Well, when we get into the New Testament, what does it say? John 5.22 For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Whoa, wait a minute. As the world will tell me, there's only one God, and it's the Father. The Son is not God. But it says here in the Old Testament that God's the judge. But it says here the Father judges no one, but the judgment has been committed to the Son. So for these two passages to still be true, the Son has to be God because as we looked at God is unchanging. So if Yahweh is going to be our judge, if God's going to be the judge, it says here that the Father is not the one that judges but the Son. Now the Son has to be God for these passages to still be true. And as I understand the Bible, it's all true. It's all completely uh, inspired and errant without error. And it says here that Jesus is claiming the Father doesn't judge anyone. Well, then who's judging? Well, the Son's judging. Well, the Old Testament says that God, the, Yahweh is going to be the judge. So Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh here. Just again. <laughs> Sorry. The, I talked to some people. They're like, well, J Jesus never claimed to be God. I'm just like, you need to read your Bible. Please read your Bible. 2 Timothy 4.1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as at his appearing and his kingdom. This is a very clear verse in the New King James. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this could be two people, God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Cool. Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom? Wait, what was understood as two people is now seeming to be one. Now, you could say, I charge you before God and the Lord, comma, and these are all descriptors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure, that's fine. But still saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is the judge and the one that will appear in his kingdom. So again, the judging is being attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ and that there will be an appearing of him, which we're about to look at. Uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we kind of looked at it before, but I hopefully it'll go back through that verse. Um, so, who's judging? Well, I thought it was Yahweh, but now it looks like Jesus is. So, what's the deal? Well, if God is the judge and Jesus is the judge, then the, the simplest answer is God is Jesus is God. They're both going, they're they're not both. They're all the same. But God will judge, which is Jesus will judge. So who sits on the throne? And it's going to be talking about this, this appearing stuff. So who sits on the throne? Because we're talking about who's judging. Uh, I guess we can go back up to um, the valley. Who will sit to judge all the surrounding nations? Not necessarily mean the throne, but 
it's the throne. Psalm 45, 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So the throne of God is forever and ever. It's an everlasting throne. Okay, cool. We're talking about the kingdom already, but this is just kind of a side note about judgment and the throne. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of Zerub filled the temple. Okay, so we have who sitting on the throne? It is the Lord. Um... I want to double check about that word Lord there, 6 1. It's just lowercase, well, it's capital L. But so it's just the word Lord. They saw the Lord sitting on the throne. So it doesn't mean Yahweh specifically, but they saw the Lord. And the throne was uh, just for ideas. The throne was in the temple, or at least it was above the temple, and his robes were filling it. Mm. Uh, 1 King 22, verse 19. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, Yahweh. I saw the Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven sitting by on his right hand and on his left. So we have Yahweh sitting on his throne. Pretty simple, clear, cool. So this is who the throne is. Oh, here's Psalm 11:4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in, his, in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. So Yahweh's in his holy temple. Yahweh's throne is in heaven. So whose throne is it? Oh, it's Yahweh's throne. Cool. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? I'm going to make a note here. So like earth is his footstool. There's another verse. I don't think I see here. Uh, earth. Um, that, that God will give Jesus the earth as his footstool. Um, we'll see if you run across it. So, thus is the Lord. Heaven is my throne. So this is the heavens are Yahweh's throne. And the earth is his footstool. Cool, Yahweh. Great. Now, Matthew 25, New Testament. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, again, Son of Man is what we've been calling Jesus, very specifically in the Gospels, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So is this another throne? Is this another set of glory? Or is this the one and the same because God doesn't share his glory with another? All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate from them one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come and bless you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me, and I was in prison, and you came to me. So here it says, The Son of Man comes in his glory. With the holy angels, and he sits on the throne of his glory. Is this another throne that doesn't make any sense? It sounds like this this hill of Jehoshaphat up here appears here. The nations will be awakened and I come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, where I will sit and judge all the surrounding nations. And so it says, The king will say to those, The king, the one that sits on the throne, you're blessed of my father, meaning that this is the son sitting on the throne, the son of man who is. Jesus. 
So who's sitting on the throne? Well, it seems like it's Jesus at this point in time separating people. Do you think God gets off his throne and lets Jesus get on his throne and bring his glory with him? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. You're really stretching the text. Revelation 5.13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. So although you could make this again like we were looked at two separate entities, him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. If you want to make it two different entities, that means there's someone sitting on the throne and then there's the Lamb, which you could say because they're separate entities, but it's, it's giving these two entities, these two persons, blessing, honor, glory, and power forever and ever. So the Lamb, who is Jesus, is getting the same worship, the same blessings, honor, and glory as him who sits on the throne, which is God. When you have these attributes so closely together, we keep seeing time and time again, Jesus gets all the attributes, all the authority, all the same that God has. They're trying to make a very clear point that there's not another, that Jesus is God. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Speaking of authority, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So it says that all authority has been given to Jesus. Now, whereas I would say most people would say, God has all authority, it's been given. It's been shared with another? No, not with another. With himself. With Jesus. And here's another model of the Trinity that people, again, say, oh, the Trinity's not in the Bible. Well, here it is. The, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So that we're baptizing them in, in the name of names of God. There's this Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So there are these three that are being taught here. And it says that Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Not what the Father has, not what the Old Testament says, but what Jesus has commanded us to do. So, just pointing that out. Some people say we're still under the, the old law, the Ten Commandments, and stuff like that. And, and here Jesus is saying, like, follow what I have commanded you. And we can look at that, but it's to love as Jesus loved us. That's how we need to need to live our lives and then we're still talking about the throne who sits on the throne um, it's the king the one who has authority the one who judges and so Matthew 22 41 through 46 while the Pharisees were gathered together Jesus asked them saying what do you think about the Christ whose son is he so we're talking about the Messiah they said to him the son of David he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. So Jesus is asking a very pointed question, because they were just questioning him very funny things, which I'm very glad that they asked the question, because it gives us so much insight and knowledge from for those that want to poke holes and try to try to figure out ways around who Jesus is. And here it says, like, 
Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. I thought the enemy, the footstool was for, it was here. Yeah, here. In Isaiah 6, 6, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Thus says the Lord. So this is the Lord's footstool. But then here it says, as you'll see, it's in Psalm 1, That's what's being quoted here. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So the Lord's having a conversation with David's Lord. Interesting. Just interesting. Mark 16, 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, this is Jesus, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When the Lord had spoken to him, so Jesus is speaking to him. He's called Lord. Just, and we looked at God being called Lord. He was received up into heaven. So he went from earth up, ascended into heaven as we've looked at, and sat down at the right hand of God. So here's this right hand idea again. Is this the thing? Yes. So he sat down at the right hand of God. It's very interesting. So I think the argument would be made that, oh, he's not on the throne. He's in this position to the right of God on this other throne. Mm -hmm. So let's see what Psalm 118 we've looked at. Let's look at again with this idea that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Sat down at the right hand of God. Now is this a positional thing or is this like an interesting title from the Old Testament? In Psalm 118, 14 through 18, the Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. We've looked at and voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live, and declares the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. So here, instead of this idea of it being at the right hand, that it is the right hand of God that does these things, that there is this working power of the Lord that is moving and doing things, and, and that this at the right hand of God I would say it's God's right hand. It's it's the hand of God that 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 He holds out to a, a disobedient people that, you know, come to me all, all of you that are lost and and Jesus is this idea of the right hand, this this branch of righteousness from David. And that's just an interesting wording from the Psalms and, I, and the scriptures, the, the 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 gospels are so pregnant with Old Testament verses that they don't even call to your attention. I really enjoyed sitting through Matthew because they're like on every other verse, these quotes from the Old Testament so that they don't highlight, bring attention to. But for those people that know their Bibles, that know their Old Testaments, they cannot help but read it and be like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what he was saying back in the Psalm. This is exactly what he was saying back there in Samuel. So, so interesting. So this right hand is of the Lord. So this right hand is of the Lord. That's the Lord's right hand. Um, well, again, this idea of the right hand, Hebrews 1, 3, who being the brightness of his glory and his express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So who is doing the purging of our sins? It was Jesus. Who's upholding all things by the word of his power? It's Jesus. 
Whose brightness of his glory? It's Jesus. And it's his express image of his person. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. So who's doing all these things? Well, you'd say Yahweh, God, Jehovah. But it says here in Hebrews that it's Jesus that did all these things. Then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus did these things. And God does these things. And then we have Luke 22, 66 through 71. As soon as if it was day, the elders of the people, both chiefs and priests and scribes, came together and led him into the council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. So he's in his uh, trial, and they're trying to get him to confess who he is. Uh, And they're wanting to know, Are you the Messiah? Are you the person that's supposed to come save us? Although they they already had their answers, their minds made up, because he's in shackles, he's been beaten all night. And they're asking, like, If you're the Christ, tell us. Just so you know, they've made up their mind already, as most people have already made up their mind. So I pray, listen. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it from ourselves from his own mouth. So they're they're thinking he's blaspheming. They think that he's a human claiming to be the son of God. That he's claiming to be the one that sits at the right hand of the power of God. That he's claiming to be the Christ. And they do not believe him. They do not want him to be him. Because Jesus is not giving them glory. Because they're religious leaders. They're not men of faith. They're men of rules. They have no relationship with God the Father. And so here he's claimed to be the Son of God. And, and some people say, well, there's this third cat- there's fourth category. There's God, there's angels, there's humans, and there's the special being. And the, the special extra being doesn't exist. This is God speaking, claiming to be the only begotten Son of God, the one of a kind, born into a human body that has come to Save us from our sins. This is who he is, and he returns to the right hand, where he's always been the right hand of God that has been moving on the earth, doing things. Revelation 5, 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne. This is an interesting phrase. In the midst of the throne. Not in the midst of the throne room. Not in the midst of those gathered there, but in the midst of the throne. And of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth so here it's the midst of the throne and then the midst of the elders so there's this throne in the midst of the elders there's a throne in the midst of the four living creatures but in the midst of the throne this gives gives rise to the idea that this throne is not like a singular chair where one person sits. Does that make sense? So this throne, there is one throne. And in the midst of the throne is this lamb. And so we read back in that passage that they give glory to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so in this passage in Revelation 5, 6, it, it sounds like, I, it reads that the throne is more than our, our human concept of one chaired throne. That that. This throne 
has a place for a lamb. And as we've read previously, it has a place for him who sits on the throne. So the, the throne is shared with the lamb. That lamb is Jesus. So if Jesus is on the throne and God is on the throne, Jesus has to be God. He do, God does not share his glory with another. Relation 3.21, right before that other verse. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So he's sharing this throne with his father, with my father on his throne. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is with the father on his throne. The lamb is with God, the father on the throne. Revelation 5, 11 through 14. So this is just after this bit with the lamb being in the midst. Then, so that this is after it says that the lamb is on the throne. It's in the midst of the throne. Not the throne room, in the midst of the throne. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. The living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Whoa, whoa, wait, who lives forever and ever? Who is this glory being given? It's the Lamb who lives forever and ever. And it's God who lives forever and ever. And so we, we conclude this. The one that sits on the throne, the one that is to judge, the one that... <clears throat> has from ever and ever and worthy of glory and honor and praise is God. And who is God? Well, it's Jesus who came in the form of a man to be light to the world as God is light and Jesus is our light. And he came to be our shepherd and because he's already been the shepherd and he is the good shepherd. And, and as Jesus says in his own words, there is no one good but God alone and Jesus claims to be the good shepherd. So over and over again, the scriptures attest to the divinity of Jesus. And I, I don't think we, we draw enough attention to it because there are people that are being led astray. There are people that are not reading their Bibles and just listening to what people have to say and are being drawn away from the truth. Read your Bibles. Read the scriptures. Take what I have said. Go to those scriptures. Ignore what I said. Go to the scriptures and read them for yourself. And ask God to give you revelation. Ask God to give you the truth. Ask God to give you the understanding and the wisdom. Because it's, it's not men that we follow. It's Jesus that we follow. So don't follow me. Don't do what I say. But go do the research yourself. I've laid out this, this platform, this um, structure for you to see all these places where Jesus is claiming to be God. All these places where... The old uh, New Testament authors are claiming that Jesus is God. And it takes people with wisdom, with a Berean spirit, with that spirit that they want to go search out these things to see if they are true. Brothers and sisters, and those that don't know the Lord yet, that aren't brothers and sisters, go seek them out. There is 
plenty of verses. This, I mean, I, I had to cut a lot of stuff just, just to do this. That's why it took so long to kind of do some of this. Because it just verse after verse after verse of things that say that God is Jesus and Jesus is God. And it says that they are separate, but they are the same. And I don't believe in more than one God. There is only one God. As he said over and over again. So how can Jesus be given the name of God? How can Jesus be given the authority of God? How can Jesus sit on the throne of God? If God doesn't share his glory or his authority or his anything with anyone else. So Jesus is God. And I pray that this changes the way that you read the Old Testament. This changes the way that you read the New Testament. And to see. So the biggest point, the biggest like finality of this all is how we should be living our lives with God as our example, with Jesus as our example. It says in the scriptures that God humbled himself and came in the form of a man. Well, there's our example. How can we humble ourselves? We are deserving of honor and power and authority as, I mean, as, as God is. And as, as humans, we, we think we deserve all these things. We've got this pride. But we think that we deserve our way should be done. We are always right and everything should be done because I know best. God says, humble yourself as I humbled myself. That's, that's the point of the humbling, so that we can see God's character and God's nature, that he humbled himself and came in the form of a man. How can you, brother or sister, humble yourself? How can you remove your power and your whatever you think you deserve, whatever God has given you from his mercy? How can you go and serve other people? How can you humble yourself? It says God, the... the the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, God, Jesus is meek because God took off that divinity and came down and came into the form of a sinful man. And he was confined to this earth for 33 years where he had to eat, fill his stomach, make fires. He had to do these lowly things that a God doesn't have to do. But he came so that we may have that example, that we may have a holy priest that understands our needs, our desires, our temptation. And the good news is that God came and did that. And then he offered this great sacrifice to pay for our sins, to, to, to redeem us from the death that we deserve because of our sins. And God didn't want us to stay there. God didn't want us to, to be forever lost. He knew we needed a Savior. He knew that we couldn't do that. And, and God has always said that he's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. And, and he comes. The Redeemer comes to the earth. He's born of a virgin for our sake. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Never forget. And that's why we enjoy the Christmas season, although we're four or five months away. That We remember that God came and was born of a virgin. God with us, Emmanuel, to save our sins. And I just I praise the Lord that he did that. That he didn't make this other creature. He didn't take an angel and shove him into the body of a human to live a perfect life. That doesn't make any sense with the scriptures that we have. It says that God came to the earth. And God is our redeemer. And God came to the holy hill of Zion. And, and God did all these things. And Jesus is the man whom he does them all through. But he's not just a man. As I keep reiterating, Jesus is... God born in the flesh, separated from the Father for our sake, to pay for our sins.
to make us right, to redeem us, to reconcile us back to the Father. Because God has made us in his image and he's always wanted us to be in relationship. He wants to adopt us into the family through Jesus Christ. That's why there's a son, so that we may be adopted into the family. Jesus is the one and only begotten son, one of a kind. Don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. Don't be fooled, saints. Read your scriptures. Read the word. Know them. So that you won't be dragged away and tossed to and fro on the waves of confusion. Know the truth. Gird yourself with the truth. And know that Jesus is God.